0: That, that was certainly fascinating in many different ways. We'll be talking about it uh, during the next half hour of extended Q and A. Um, half an hour—that means 50 minutes for me, 15 for you. Questions from the audience, but the whole 30 minutes with uh, David Borenstein, the very talent- talented musician, China expert, and director who's here with us. David, please give him a warm hand. was a funny movie, a lot of absurdity, but it's also very tragic underneath. Was it difficult to find a balance between these two elements?
1: Well, definitely what I was going for was something that was between the tragic and the comedic. I mean, for me, the best comedies are tragedies, and the best tragedies are also comedies. So, for me, it was definitely throughout the entire film, it was trying, the, the editing process, it was trying to figure out a way to strike that balance correctly. Uh, while we were in the editing room, actually, we were doing a lot of reading uh, of Kafka, which was, I mean, I think for, for me, it's these films that really strike a balance between showing the personal and the systematic that are able to strike this balance of, of comedy and, and tragedy kind of right on the, on, the, on the note, so. Somebody told me that in the
0: first uh, stages, it was more hilarious, and you sort of toned that down. Yeah. Is that true?
1: Uh, no, I think it, it, it was always it was always going for something that was kind of in between. Um, it definitely, in the beginning, I, I think it kind of is trying to play with the expectations of the audience a little bit. In the beginning, there is a little bit of a setup in the first 15 minutes of the film that might suggest that it's some sort of uh, investigation of this kind of surface-level phenomenon that is... Sort Michael more like uh, uh, yeah or maybe even like a, like a vice like kind of kind of going into looking at this absurd thing that exists overseas but to a certain extent i mean i think what we were trying to do in the edit room was to also was to kind of play with people's expectations and to kind of introduce this cultural phenomena in that way but then ultimately by the end of the film the goal is for you to kind of overcome your initial prejudice and to see it through the eyes of yana and to understand that that if you follow this absurdity to its very core. What you what you have is a quite a brutal system. That
0: uh, called the Chinese dream. Uh, isn't so different from the American dream.
1: Uh, well, on there, the surface, I, on the surface, perhaps, yeah. But but for me, what's, what's so important is that underpinning this this surface level absurdity is a very real story with Yana that connects to very serious hopes and dreams, uh, and a, a system that that is connected to one of the largest economies in the world, China, that has. Pretty dire consequences, no matter what way it's going to go. So,
0: We were already in the editing room, but let's, let's go back a while uh, to 2012. Yeah. I take it that was real what you told there. You were there sort of more or less aimlessly um, wh- when, and, and, and doing these gigs. When did you get the idea of um, um, this might be a movie?
2: Because
0: yeah. you were a student of Chinese language and society.
1: Yeah, so for me, I graduated university in 2009, and I got a Fulbright scholarship to conduct research. After I finished that scholarship, I, I did... Study, nothing to do with film.
0: Nothing uh, to no. do with film.
1: No, my background is in, is in Chinese studies and uh, anthropology, uh, economic anthropology specifically. So for me, after I, did, I finished my study research there, uh, I was fairly aimless there, just spending two or three years uh, doing gigs like this and also working in Chinese media. Um, And so for me, uh, I did meet Yana the way I I talk about it in the film. She found me in front of my home. uh, And that night, I was playing a gig at a a real estate opening and absolutely blown away by by what I was seeing. And for me, that kind of started a process of trying to figure out what it was all about. Uh, At that point, I was just starting a PhD in anthropology. uh, And I made my research in anthropology of connected to this uh, and you had a phone and a video camera yes so you started making bits of film of reportage yeah exactly so in the the beginning a lot of this stuff that you're seeing is really this kind of uh, research footage that I didn't necessarily intend on making a film out of but I did intend on making a research project out of it but then
0: for for this for to make the story happen you had to go back with a professional crew
1: Was there a lot of reenactment then? Uh, No. Uh, So what happened was we started filming, well, I started filming on my own around 2012. And then actually after a year of filming on my own, what happened was we actually pitched it for the first time at the Info Forum uh, in 2013. Shortly after that, we we had the money to be able to afford a cinematographer to take trips to China uh, to join me in film. And so that you can see in the film, like, it goes from 2012 to 2013, and just immediately the visual quality is going way up. Uh, so, I mean. Uh, yeah, but there are inserts right in the beginning already with a
0: very good professional quality. So, ah, yeah, so that, th- that made me think there's some reenactment going on.
1: Um, there's no reenactment, but there's some uh, B roll uh, or some images, perhaps at the beginning, that are coming from a, a later point. But in terms of all of the the scenes in the beginning, no, I, I surprisingly, if it looks good, I shot it. Uh, but Whoa! <laughs> Compliments. Okay.
0: Kudos. Um, how is it to be both the, the 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 subject and the director of the film? Because I mean, you were you're telling your own story, and then
1: gradually the 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 the, the, the focus shifts to Yana. So, uh, in the beginning, we didn't intend on having me be the narrator. We actually experimented with a lot of different options. Uh, When we pitched it in ITFA uh, in 2013, I was no part of the story whatsoever. But as it turned out, uh, putting myself in the story ended up being a pretty important editing decision because it's not necessarily uh, completely obvious why Yana's story is being connected to a lot of these other stories that are happening in the housing boom. The truth of the matter is, is it's because of me. It's because I was using uh, this opportunity to understand more. It comes out of my curiosity. So she wasn't in the housing business. She was in
0: the entertainment business. Yeah, she's in,
1: yeah she's in the entertainment business. I mean, it, as it happened, most of her customers uh, were these new cities. But it, it's it's true that, that if you talk to her about it, it, it's not... Her own narration wouldn't necessarily connect all the dots like I was. It, it, to make the film as honest as possible, what it needed was me to just say, this is what my interest was, and this was my perspective. And once we put me in it, it just made a lot more sense for people Did watching. Did she understand that immediately? Yeah, we watched what, what it. Your, what your point was? Yeah, I watched it. I watched the film together with Yana just a few months ago.
0: and, uh, and no, But you needed her cooperation. Yeah. So to go back, and I mean, probably after she had her disappointment with the company, and, and
1: then she had to tell you about it. Um, so I, I, the question, like, how her participation in the project was? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, the, her participation in the project was, it, it changed over time, I would say. In the beginning, she was just kind of lukewarm about it. I mean, we hadn't become good friends yet. Uh, in the beginning, she looked at me as just another foreigner. She was more interested in me playing clarinet and saxophone. And from time to time, she would say, hey, David, stop filming. I mean, she, I was a nuisance. Do uh, your job. Yeah. yeah, do your job. Uh, but after time, I ended up having so many talks with her through interviews that kind of like what I say in the film, it it, it kind of rang true. I, I became one of her kind of closest confidants in, in Chongqing. I probably had discussions with her that, that no one else did. Uh, A, because she was kind of an outsider in, in Chongqing. She doesn't seem to have many friends. Uh, no, because she was so busy kind of working on her project. She was also uh, an outsider. Um, she was from Faraway province, the Xinjiang, five hundred miles away. Yeah, uh, and so she was learning the language the whole time. Actually, if you notice, it, some some Chinese might notice in the film that her Chongqing dialect is much better at the end than it is at the beginning. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so I was able to kind of create a connection with her, and then by the end, our our conversations got so much more personal, and and we really kind of became very close through making this. So the participation with her was very interesting. It was a still in touch. Oh, yeah. I, w- I spent uh, seven days with her just a few months ago in, uh, in Chongqing. W-
0: what did this tell you about China? Because you went to China, I guess, something around 2010 or so. Um, then this boom started. Uh, then it started fading. Your ideas must have changed during the whole process, of or during those years.
1: Yeah, I mean... What was interesting about about seeing China at this time is kind of thinking about about how capitalism works in China and thinking about how... One of my biggest takeaways was this idea that perhaps this marriage between capitalism and democracy is not necessarily something that is natural or is the most efficient way. When you look at this, uh, what I show in this movie, there are a lot of scenes that kind of suggest that some of the more uh, kind of autocratic and repressive measures that China takes in its system is actually beneficial for for a housing bubble or for for kind of encouraging high GDP growth. So when you have peasants who in one day's notice you can get them off their land without any respect for kind of their their property rights, that's actually quite an efficient thing. What does it mean when there's no free-flowing information we talked to journalists. It was uh, one of the cut scenes was talking with a journalist that was saying that he was discouraged from reporting on the fact that there were ghost towns, on reporting on the fact that there was negative financial information, negative financial kind of situation in China. And what does it mean for a bubble economy or for any kind of capitalist system to have to have this kind of lack of free flowing information? So, I mean, what what I kind of took away from this was saying, "Wow." I there is a new form of capitalism kind of that's coming out of China right now. <laughs> and which is, which is on, on, on the one hand, unrestrained,
0: like the, the, the man who owns the, the city with the, with the mall. Yeah. On the other hand, you call it authoritarian. Yeah. It's, um, it's still um, centralized in its, uh, its uh, d- direction. Exactly. And but doesn't that have good sides as well? Like you might be very effective when it comes to climate uh, change?
1: Absolutely. So I mean, right More now, than it, the United States, yeah, yeah a definitely as years. of now. Uh, but yeah, right now, China is is criticizing our president-elect over uh, over kind of getting out of the Paris Agreement. So so there are definitely going. That's to That's quite embarrassing. How does that feel? It, it doesn't feel good. I mean, I got to say, but it is definitely interesting. I mean, so what I, I think what the film is trying to get a little bit into is this kind of new form of is a kind of a novel form of capitalism that I, I definitely think has a strong possibility of reshaping the entire world in the 21st century, especially, you know, in light of the new U.S. president, especially as China moves to take a more of a leadership role on many of the, of the issues that are going to be reshaping the world. However we deal with climate change is going to reshape the world in its image, okay? and China now is in a very strong position to be one of the countries that says how that's going to take place putting that aside, how we deal with robotization of work is going to be something like that too. And China is also in a position to be the kind of the leader in how these questions are solved. Um, so I, I hope this film can at least in some way get you deeper into the system and... And, and sow some doubt as to both capitalism and authoritarian rule and yeah.
0: well both sides of the story. Um, you've moved to Copenhagen. You have you become a filmmaker now, or will you go back to your ri- original studies? You've, you've moved to Copenhagen before
1: the elections. Uh, I yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I, I mean, I am working with uh, my producer, Jesper Jack, who's here right now, yep. on uh, a number of new projects. Uh, the, I love the Copenhagen film scene. Uh, I have a great relationship with everyone that I've worked with on this project there and I've definitely grown a lot uh, as a filmmaker in Copenhagen, and so I'm very interested in continuing to work there. Um, I'm still interested in academia, uh, but, but ac- it, and so I kind of hope to kind of do both at the same time. And the clarinet? Uh, the clarinet, uh, well, whenever I h- go back to China, maybe I can oh, uh, whiff it okay. out of right. <laughs> yeah. for, for a quick book. They yeah. need Dave Berenzio, yeah. you know.
0: I'm sure there are questions about China uh, um, in the audience, and we have uh, a gizmo here the catch box you get the idea um, i throw it to anybody who has a, a question so preferably in one of the first <laughs> rows um, and you speak into the box mm-hmm. do i see a hand No questions. Mm. oh that's quite far away we need some audience cooperation here with the box speak here uh, yeah yep. works
1: all right firstly uh, great documentary um, yeah. Um, what I want to know is, how is Yana doing, and um, what is she doing? Yeah, thanks for the question. So, what Yana uh, d- did, after, the f- after we finished filming, she went home uh, to Xinjiang and spent uh, a few months... with her parents. Yeah, with, yeah. Her, with her parents, as her dad recommended on the phone. Um, and then since then, some interesting things have happened. Actually, one of the things that's happened in China in the past few years the last two years especially since I finished filming, was the President Xi Jinping has kind of been emphasizing a renewed nationalism. And so uh, he was talking about banning kind of the – not banning, but discouraging the crazy architecture that you see in this and kind of emphasizing the need to to remake uh, an indigenous Chinese identity
0: that express itself in the, in the architecture as well?
1: Um, it won't, I, won't be British anymore? Uh, well, we'll see. Yeah. But it is expressing itself in Yana's new line of work. She's still. So when I visited her uh, this last summer, she was still working in events, but she was working at a new company that specializes in Chinese cultural performances. So there you go. You want to bring her over to Europe? <laughs> yeah, that would be nice. She actually asked me about that.
0: Okay. Who has the box?
1: Oh, she's still a businesswoman. Well, she's working for someone else now. Oh, okay. Uh,
2: thank you, David. Uh, I'm a Chinese, so I have a completely opposite perspective. Uh, thank you for the film. Very interesting. Uh, we are actually a designer in, in China, so this, like, you talk about architect design. It's actually quite relevant. So my question is, are you American, right? Yes. So um, I'm curious about you. As an American, what's your perspective? like The, the whole housing bubble it seems quite similar to the American housing bubble in 2008, and what is the difference in your perspective when you were in China, like, all those whole, um, like, remote city all kinds of hypocrisy fake acting, all kinds of stupidities in the human being behavior what was your um, did you realize it when you were actually playing the gigs in 2012, or you realize after they actually get one busted and uh, how do you see the future like Donald Trump actually get elected in like the next five years. Like how do you we see we're the We're covering
1: a lot of ground here. Yeah. Yeah. Shall so, so we, so we stick to the housing bubble?
2: Uh, I'm happy to
1: answer as many questions. Uh, sure. So the first question was, All right, just trying to unpack that. Uh, in 2012, did I realize what was going on? Uh, no, I mean, in the very beginning, it, it can be quite difficult to know what was going on. I mean, it was such a spectacle, and to be in the middle of it I had the des- a strong desire to figure it out myself, and a big reason that I made the film was because of this <laughs> process of figuring it out more and more. So you were excited yourself, also. Yeah, I was excited. expecting it. You. Yeah, and so I mean, I hope the film comes across as uh, a very honest expression of of my desire to understand more and more. And then I think the next question was was what do I think about the future of these of these places and I think it's, it's really, what's happening now in the housing bubble, it really depends where you are in China. Uh, in the third and fourth tier cities, where, that's kind of where Yana was specializing, in rural Sichuan, it seems that the situation is, is pretty dire. Um, but since then, in some of the bigger cities, uh, there, was, you know, there was a nationwide dip in real estate prices. Since then, actually, some of the bigger cities in Shanghai, Beijing, Guangzhou, Shenzhen, the prices have been starting to raise again. So it's a very complicated situation. Now the, the housing market in China is really weird and quite different from 2008 in America because 2008 in America, it was a national meltdown. Whereas right now in China, you have this kind of completely separate, you have the, the smaller cities are, are still melting down and then the very, very large cities are heating back up again. And a lot of people are saying, this is actually really dangerous.
0: I, I think you touched on, a, on, a, on an important difference because in, I, I gather that in two, after 2008, homes in America were just deserted by the people who had bought them and left, they left the home with the mortgage and moved on you, you point out that for the Chinese having a home is sort of very central to identity the idea of succeeding in life and, and all, almost the same as
1: family mm-hmm. yep uh, so that is I mean that's another thing that kind of economic anthropology likes to look at right so uh, economics likes to look at, at numbers <laughs> and data Whereas economic anthropology likes to kind of problematize that approach by looking at the cultural kind of forms and ideas that underlie economic activity. So that those scenes where we look at the obsession over housing is kind of typical economic anthropology. We're, we're looking at, at the spirit of this housing bubble. What are the cultural forms that are exploited? Uh, and to, there's no doubt at all that in China, uh, developers and local governments really exploit this notion of family and house being connected in order to... Almost morally obliged to buy a house. Uh, Yeah.
0: Where's the catch box? Ah. (laughs) You're becoming a team. Thank you. Uh, Great film, absolutely. And I was also very fascinated by the fact that you actually entered it. Uh, as a researcher, basically. So I wanted to ask, now that you just spoke about economic anthropology as well. What was your research on, your
1: academic research? Was that on a related topic to the one that you're covering in the film, or was it or it's two completely different things? Yeah. So, uh, my academic research when I was in the PhD program was very similar. I mean, a- at that point I was studying in New York, uh, economic anthropology, and also geography, uh, under a guy, uh, uh, David Harvey, who is uh, kind of someone who, who's studying uh, urban urbanization issues uh, and kind of materialist studies of the economy. Uh, and yeah, I was looking at, at exactly this. I was looking at urbanization in China. I was looking at the cultural forms underpinning it. Uh, and more and more as I got into this film, I was combining the research with what I was looking at in this film.
0: Okay, I think we, we've stuck to that half of the- isn't there anybody there? I mean red team, blue team. Yep. Good catch.
1: Thing on? Oh yeah, apparently. Uh, I was trying to play some football. Um, yeah, I was wondering, like, at the end of the movie, David. Um, a, there was this very touching movie m- moment in which Yana, well, basically, uh, told you. Um, why she has to work with Jimmy and, uh, that as a woman alone, she's vulnerable in this business environment and also not, well, maybe not respected, not accepted in there. Is, is, is that a pattern in China that, that Chinese business women find it very hard to be taken seriously, like in that environment? Cause I always thought of China like, oh, well it's communist, you know, history makes it more like emancipatory, but maybe not. Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I think it's a very complicated question. So I never had the analysis, like you, I never had the analysis that China was a particularly bad place for a, a woman entrepreneur. I, I read a lot of the statistics that talks about the number of female billionaires in China, and I've read a lot uh, of other of other things that didn't kind of point this out as an issue. And in the beginning, I never really had an idea of kind of making this uh, kind of plot line and this theme part of the film at all, but by the end of getting to know Yana, I started to understand that it was a really, really big issue for her. And towards the end, it was kind of all she wanted to talk about. Um, And without a doubt, from what I noticed from talking to her, it was a big issue for for her. It was something that she encountered almost every single day. I mean... Uh, it is a big talking point in China right now, this discussion, especially in the provinces, of having to continually drink and, and eat with people in order to, to do business. I mean, it looks like Jimmy is doing nothing in this company. But the fact of the matter is, and, and from our perspective, from the West, he kind of isn't doing anything. Jana's doing almost all the work. Yana's speaking English with everybody. She learned all the skills to run this company. Uh, and all Jimmy does is eat and drink with people. But actually, that's kind of the most important work that you need to do to be an entrepreneur in China. So I do know that there is a, a kind of big discussion uh, in China right now about why is it that we need to be constantly eating and drinking with everyone uh, in order to run a business. Uh, and that's kind of what made China- Jana feel very strongly. And this, to her, uh, if you were to ask Jana why did you you fail as, a, as an entrepreneur, she she almost definitely would have given you this, this answer. This is, it's this gender dynamic. And so, um, as a filmmaker that was trying to, that made a strong connection with Jana, and that wanted to make a film that, that she could feel part of also, and t- someone that respects her opinion, I, I needed to put it in the film. It's almost painful
0: when you hear a commentary to see her with the cake. Yeah. I mean, that scene, you you prolong that scene. It's part also of uh, economic astronomy. Yeah. Mm. Um, we have time for one more question. Yep. Uh, there were, I think, two moments in the movie that you showed a form of protest, the uh, scene in the white shirts and almost the last scene in the shopping mall where they really destroyed some things. Uh, can you tell something more about how protests is going on right now? Are they becoming bigger or is it still like really suppressed
1: because yeah. Yeah. it's it's quite suppressed and <coughs> quite uneven so that surprised uh, you too, you were playing
0: and you ran with your camera too? Yeah. yeah,
1: I mean it, it's, it wasn't hard at all to find housing protests in, in China, they were happening all the time actually uh, a common form of protest that I encountered many times not even looking for it were in Chengdu, the city where I actually spent most of my time, was finding homeowners who were smashing the windows of the houses that they had bought uh, because they had Their dropped own in price. Houses. Their own houses, because they had dropped in price, kind of the ultimate expression of the fact that it was never for living in. It was. It's only valuable to the extent that it that it goes up in value. Um, but what was interesting, actually, about those people who were uh, protesting about the house that they had bought uh, was because was the fact that that they thought that they were kind of the only people that were in that position. Um, By going to so many new cities, I had encountered lots of protests, but they didn't really know about the other people that were protesting. They all were binding together as one building or one community, uh, but there wasn't a lot of coordination between different... And no media coverage. Exactly. So, I mean, that's how protest always works in China. I mean, I have a lot of friends study uh, worker protest in South China, and it's all kind of wildcat strikes where that are not organized and and spontaneous. But despite the fact that they're all spontaneous, they pop up a lot. I mean, there was there's uh, many, many hundreds of times more strikes and protests in China than there are in the United States, for example. So, could you imagine that that bubble would burst as well? The the authoritarian
0: bubble. Because the authoritarian uh, v- bubble. V- very sort of surprising. Uh,
1: I'm, I'm not, I'm not, uh, I, I have to say I'm bullish on the authoritarian bubble uh, globally it, right it now. It will,
0: it will, be, it will s- oh, okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: It will expand beyond China. Uh, yeah. Right. So uh,
0: have you been pitching anything here at Litvan? Uh
1: Yeah, uh, we're not pitching this year. We just pitched a film at, at Leipzig. Yeah. Uh, that's. Uh, so the question would be, what are you working on? Yeah. Um, so right now, uh, my producer and I are working on a film about education between the United States and, well, really Western countries and China. Um, and then we're also kind of looking into a new project about uh, the role of the media in post-truth in the light of uh, our last election. So okay. I can see the
0: logic of that. Yeah. Well, it was great having you here, and we hope to see you uh, back soon. Thank you, David.
1: Thank you.